Happy Hump Day to all you Gamecock fans. It's ITG Daily inside the Gamecocks Daily. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Good to be yammering with you again today. Keep in mind, on Wednesday, for those of you that like the podcast, and your numbers are growing, and we appreciate that. Um, today is also Football Insider Day, where Tony Morell and I will go for, you know, 40 minutes an hour on exclusively Gamecock football uh, this afternoon, so you get two for one. Uh, on Wednesdays uh, here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Um, basketball tonight, 8.30 p.m. tip-off Eastern time. Fayetteville, Arkansas, Gamecocks and the Razorbacks. Uh, Going to jump in and preview that game. Uh, but first, got a little football talk uh, to kind of go through, work through, whatever. I mean, it's it's always something with Gamecock football where you got to talk through it and work through it and all that good stuff. So I have a couple of points to bring up, and Tony and I are going to dive deep into football, the Jordan Burt situation later, um, talk a little bit about the current team uh, and all that. But I was talking to some sources, uh, contacts as, as I like to call them, because uh, like my good friend John Whittle from TheBigSpur.com, we, we don't like using the word sources because it's overused. Sources say, according to sources, all that good stuff. It's just a preference. I don't think it's a big deal. But... You know, I, I was talking to some contacts yesterday uh, about the team and, and sort of Gamecock athletics and, you know, all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, got a little bit of information on the Mike Bobo hire. And, you know, I, I think that when you look at it big picture-wise, uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm not – I said when he was hired, I said I, I'm not – it's not that I don't think Mike Bobo is a good play caller or a good offensive coordinator. Um, I think just like a lot of you, I'm in, I'm in sort of wait-and-see mode in terms of, you know, what he ultimately brings to the offense and how ultimately South Carolina uh, will evolve offensively and will Muschamp, quite frankly. Um, but, you know, that that's sort of – those of you that know me know that, you know, during the Muschamp era up until last year, I was, you know, had a pretty rosy outlook because, you know, quite frankly, the first three years, when you consider the injuries they had in 2018 on defense toward the end where they could stop anybody, um, you know, th- those were kind of overachieving years. The first year, I don't think that team had any business going to a bowl. The second year, that team had no business winning nine games. I don't care if Tennessee and Florida were down and, Arkansas got fired or whoever, uh, that was a team that, you know, at the very least had no business beating an NC State team that, you know, had seven NFL draft picks on it uh, or a Michigan team that was, you know, superior, especially on the lines of scrimmage, probably not at quarterback. Um, And, you know, in those games, the Gamecocks rose up and made the plays they had to make. Uh, You know, they beat a good Missouri team. What ended up being a good Missouri team, it wasn't good at the time they played them on the road by 18, uh, took care of business against Arkansas. And, then, and, 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 you know, 2017 was a solid year top to bottom. Disappointment against Kentucky. I think disappointment in the home game against Clemson where that Clemson team was not as good as the other five, four or five they've had in recent years. Um, and the Gamecocks were not competitive and did not play well on either side of the ball and had some injuries and stuff like that. But I – I do think, and then Kurt Roper was calling the plays, but I, I do think that, you know, you look at that, and then I, then I think in 2018, you know, you, you sort of look at it, and they were 7-6, and six, and they had some really good moments, especially on offense. 
You knew the defense was going to kind of be rebuilding because they had some seniors on that 2017 team. Um, and you kind of figure 2018 would be a get-through year on that side of the ball anyway. And then the injuries happened, and it was bad. There were some red flags that I don't think were addressed, uh, namely the offense's performance from second half of Florida on. Um, and I think that there was maybe some fool's gold with that Clemson game. I mean, you can't take away 600 yards and 35 points and going up and down the field and probably should have had 49 with better planning inside the red zone, you know, against a very good defense that shut down Alabama and some, I don't know that they shut Alabama down, held them to 16, beat them by 28. Um, Maybe that was a little fool's gold because then you had Akron in the second half, no points, and then you got shut out by Virginia. And uh, I think that, you know, anytime you've got a new coordinator – with a new system, and I, and I think with the RPOs and a quarterback like Jake Bentley that can run it, you know, there's going to be a period of adjustment while you the film gets out. And then I think Virginia, sitting there with a lot of film to kind of study, looked at, well, hey, when have, who's, what have they done to slow these guys down? They took away the RPO. And then, of course, no Debo Samuel and all that. But I think there were some red flags that season, and then, of course, this past season was a disaster. So, Quick review of the Muschamp era there. I've usually been pretty positive because I think that when the hire was made, if you look at the other guys that were interested in the job, there was no real sure thing once you got past Tom Herman. Uh, even Kirby Smart, to me, third offensive coordinator in three years, hasn't obviously figured it out on offense at Georgia, although they've been very successful. Um, getting rid of Jim Chaney and promoting James Coley, I, I don't know what the, the thinking, the logic was there. But, you know, he inherited a lot of great offensive players at Georgia. And uh, Jake Fromm uh, included, you know, was a quarterback that flipped from Alabama. He was going to Alabama. Um, and so, you know, what would he have done at South Carolina? You know, I, I still don't I, – I still wouldn't call that a sure thing. I don't think anybody was. And when you look at the roster at the time, you know, I, I think that what you needed was a guy that's going to be a relentless recruiter, which I think Will Muschamp's proven that he is, um, that's going to come in there and get the roster right. I mean, one of my friends who knows Will Muschamp and respects him uh, was very happy that Muschamp got the job at South Carolina, thought it was a, a, a bold hire to make because of what happened at Florida, but also thought, you know, Muschamp is, is not as bad of a coach as maybe his four years at Florida said you know there were some things that happened whatever um but he also told me this he said and if he doesn't win you know south carolina is going to have a much better roster when he leaves uh that's a fact and and i think that you know when you look at it the gamecocks do have a much better roster i think there are a lot of good guys and and i think this staff when you talk about individual player development in other words getting them ready for the next level I think you look at some of the guys that are playing. Rashad Fenton's playing in the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. So is Chris Lamont's. I didn't think either one of those guys were going to stick. Um, I thought Fenton had some really good one-on-one coverage skills. I, I thought, you know, last half of the year at South Carolina's final year, it was tough, obviously. Um, you know, Dennis Daly on offense uh, is a guy that you know started for the Panthers this past year and. You know, Tony and I were talking last week, and the Panthers maybe should have left him in over Gamecock legacy and five-star recruit Greg Little uh, from back in the day. Um, 
And so, you know, and and then look at Debo Samuel. I mean, Debo Samuel has a lot of natural talent. I don't know how much development took place there, and I think a lot of it's a matter of him being healthy and, you know, being more polished in the NFL. But, you know, that guy, when he was a recruit, a lot of people had him as a mid-three. I had him as a low-four. Not to toot my own horn, but I get reminded of when I've been wrong. Uh, So uh, I think that uh, sometimes it's good to remind uh, everybody that I'm right sometimes, and uh, so Debo's in the you know in the NFL and, and doing a great job you know for the San Francisco 49ers. He's been uh, one of the better rookies uh, around this year. So I think individually these guys do develop talent. That being said, there's obviously a disconnect with the team. There's obviously an issue with injuries that have happened here. You know, there, there's all kinds of things you can point to uh, as to why last year wasn't successful. And I, and I think that. You know, some of it was luck. You know, who knew Jake Bentley was going to get hurt the first game? Um, though I don't think that's an excuse. Uh, I think that, you know, in year four, you've got to have a plan with a good backup. And, you know, they, Holinsky should have been better this past year. Should have had a better plan for him. You know, and it, and it was weird because it seemed like they did. Well, oh, there's that word adjustments again. And, and time and time again, none were made. And then by the time the season was over – you know, people had had that had the offense completely figured out, and they just the offense was not competitive against Texas A and M nor Clemson, which is sad. You know, you got an offense that put up thirty five and six hundred yards a year before, and you come back home, not expecting them to beat Clemson, obviously, but you can't do any better than three points on a jump pass that you set up to the tight end. Blah 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 blah. Of course, no Brian Edwards in that game, but um, you know, just sad. And that's why there's a change. So getting back to Mike Bobo, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, you still have to be hesitant. Um, you know, Mike Bobo is a accomplished play caller, obviously not successful as the head coach at Colorado State to a certain extent, um, and then come, comes back home and, uh, you know, now is at South Carolina. I, you know, I look at it and, and I'm just like, well, We'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I tend to believe South Carolina has to be a special preparation. That's not to say that preparing for Mike Bobo's offense isn't somewhat special because, I, I you know, look back at the, la- the last part of the Georgia era, and they had some stinkers of games, obviously the 2012 game at South Carolina, some of those games against Alabama, you know, but then they had some games. I mean, I was at the 2012 SEC championship game. They had two freshman running backs, Gurley and Marshall. I think Aaron Murray, um, some average wide receivers led by Conley. And in that game, Georgia had Bama beat. And, and that was not a Bama team. That Bama team went undefeated and spanked Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl. That was, the, I think, still the BCS era and won it all. And Georgia was a play away from beating them in a relatively high-scoring game against a dominant defense. And so there were moments when, yeah, it, it was tough. And, and Mike Bobo, uh, I think, when you, if you're going to look at the bad, you got to look at the good. And so, you know, Bobo's coming in. A very safe hire um, is a guy that's accomplished. He, he automatically steps in, with the exception of Charlie Weiss, which I think we all found out that Charlie Weiss is a pretty good play caller when uh, you're in the NFL and you get to work on it all the time, or when you are uh, at Notre Dame and you got Brady Quinn 
and Jimmy Clausen, uh, guys that could get into the right play and stuff like that. Not so much at Florida with John Brantley and and Chris Rainey and those guys because it just it just didn't work. And you know you're talking about a spread team under Urban that went back to a pro style deal under Charles. So anyway, we've talked about that ad nauseum. But nobody except Charlie Weiss has the pedigree that Muschamp's hired. You know, he, he, after that, he hired Brent Peace, guy that works for the guy. Hired Kurt Roper, guy that works for the guy. Uh, hired Brian McClendon, uh, internal promotion, first-time play caller. Uh, they were hoping that they would go with a team approach, but, uh, you know, it got less and less that way uh, as McClendon continued to. And, look, I don't blame Brian McClendon. I mean, because ultimately, you know, it, it, it's you that's got to wake up every morning and it's you they're going to blame, so you got to trust yourself. Uh, no matter how good or bad it is. Um, and so that didn't work. And so Mike Bobo, though, in the SEC, uh, during the last half of his tenure at Georgia, one of the best play callers there. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban said this. Mark Rick said this. Les Miles has said this. Will Muschamp has said this. I, I, don't, I don't know that there's very many really good football coaches that don't think – Mike Bobo is a really good football coach. Now, sometimes coaches will say that, and the product does not equal the hype. But so, so I'll say that it's the best guy Will Muschamp's ever had. First, right off the bat, best offensive coordinator, most proven guy track record wise he's ever had, developing quarterbacks included. Um, so you got that, and Dan Warner, to his credit, pretty good at recruiting and developing quarterbacks. I, I think that. He's gotten the ball rolling and set the table nicely for Mike Bobo. Second, you know, when you look at the scheme and you break down all the different things he does uh, with the different formations, with the use of the tight end and fullback at times, with the spread concepts at times, um, there's nothing different schematically. Now, uh, play calling is a different story, but schematically – it's essentially the same thing Steve Spurrier did um, with the Orlando Apollos this year, if you look at it. Um, and, and the passing game concepts and, and things like that, the formations and, and all that, um, are essentially the same thing Spurrier did at South Carolina. Now, South Carolina, when they had Connor Shaw, Stephen Garcia, even Dylan Thompson to a certain extent, very zone read heavy. Uh, and that was kind of G.A. Mangus's influence on the offense and Sean Elliott's. So I don't know that they're going to do that. It's going to be more of a power run game, which I think with South Carolina's offensive line, I think that's a welcome development um, because I think those guys are really good at brawling up front, hat on a hat, so to speak. Um, and they're good at zone blocking at times too, and, and I think they'll be better next year obviously because they were very young and inexperienced at points. But But I think power, you know, getting downhill and – Doing that, so playing a little smash mouth in addition to the spread concepts is pretty good. Um, obviously, in the run game, Spurrier, when you look at him in his truest sense, a lot of draws, some tall sweeps, some things like that. But there's, there's, you know, when, when you, just the scheme, when you look at just the, the formations and, and kind of when you just watch them without considering the play calling, uh, very similar to Steve Spurrier, um, you know, in terms of that. So, you got that going. Um, I, you know, do the, does he have the same ball plays as Spurrier? No. May, he may and call it something different. 
But, uh, you know, is, is, is Steve Spurrier was even, you know, like with the Apollos this year, sort of a, a genius play caller. I mean, the guy still has it. He could probably sit in the booth right now and carve a team up if he put his mind to it and had the right personnel. Um, so that's, no, that's number one. I mean, I think a lot of people think South Carolina next year is going to, you know, and this happened once before in 1998, uh, or the, the, not once before, but this happened one time in 98-99. You know, South Carolina, Brad Scott, instead of hiring, going out and hiring a great defensive coordinator, you know, what if Brad Scott had hired Ellis Johnson back then? That's that's my question I have. What if he had just brought Ellis home and to fix the defense and he'd have kept doing his thing? He'd probably still be the coach. Maybe. Maybe not at this point, but things may be a lot different. But he, he hired Chuck Reedy to come in and run a pro-style system, and they put Anthony Grant under – I mean, sorry, Anthony uh, Wright under center, tried to get behind the line with Troy Hamrick. And by the time the Ole Miss game rolled around, Brad Scott was back calling plays and they were running spread. That team went 1-10. Lou Holtz the next year, uh, and that was an injury-riddled bad season. We all know that. 0-11, tried to run the old Notre Dame offense, massive injuries at quarterback. The next year they switched to a spread with Skip Holtz, and they go 8-4. and four. Um, And so I understand the hesitancy when, when you start talking about pro-style offense at South Carolina because I, I think that when we talk about pro-style offense, and I'm guilty of this as well because I've said this straight up, you think of what Alabama used to do. You think of what Georgia's trying to do now. Uh, you think of I-formation, power football, run, 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 what Les Miles did at LSU, that kind of thing. But if you talk about pro-style offense these days, and you can look at the Super Bowl and look at the 49ers and the Chiefs and you know, look at Joe Brady uh, at LSU this past year, all of those things are NFL concepts these days. So, so the pro, if when you say pro style, um, I, I think that you're, you know, we're wrong when we sit there and say, well, they're just going to get an eye and pound it. I, I think that, you know, when you look at Colorado State and all that good stuff, that's that's something that can work as long as you're calling the plays correctly and. Bobo, and that's a matter of okay, they're stopping the pin and pull. And somebody told me this. This is kind of what happened. Gamecocks busted out the pin and pull against Kentucky. It worked really well. They ran it really well against Georgia. Uh, then teams started adjusting. And, and I think those adjustments once again started happening in the fourth quarter against Florida the following week. Same thing as last year. And then teams just figured it out and started shutting it down. And then they had no counter. And and what I was told that, you know, Bobo has communicated because he's watched film of uh, all the games last year is that he thinks that, you know, teams started figuring that out in the run game and then there was no counter. He's like, what you got to do is they start doing this, you got to counter and do that. So once again, adjustments. And this guy's been making adjustments for years. And at Georgia, he got better and better and better at it as his career went on. Um. And so I think that, you know, I see a scenario where it works. I also think with Ryan Holinsky specifically, he's coached a lot of quarterbacks, just like Ryan Holinsky. And I think that Holinsky last year, tough freshman season, probably needs to be, from what I was told, um, the kid is a sponge. Luke Doty is a sponge. Uh, Luke Doty's been in meetings constantly since he's been there. Uh, they love his potential. Um, 
you know, I, I think Helensky specifically probably needed, after the rough freshman year, he had a new voice. And now you got one, Bobo and, and Bobby Bentley. And Bobo's coached a lot of guys that um, are just like Ryan Helensky from a skill set standpoint. And so that's good. You know, you got Colin Hill, who's started for him for a while at Colorado State, coming in, coming home. Uh, his injury situation obviously is a concern, but you, you look at it, and there's a good insurance policy. You know, what if Helensky kind of still needs a year? Uh, what if he, you know, problems grasping the system? Um, kind of understand, you know, and, and this happens even if you're really talented. You know, sometimes you need some time. You know, you got Colin Hill there who a lot of people think are really good, is a really good quarterback. Injuries notwithstanding, 6'5 guy, Dorman High School, Cavaliers. Remember him at Shrine Bowl well. So, you know, you got that kind of coming down, and, you know, that's all a positive thing. Uh, I, I think, you know, everything also down to, like, Nick Muse. Again, he needs to get healthy. But you got Nick Muse. Um, you got a stud freshman running back, Marshawn Lloyd, coming in. Um, which I think who I think is the likely starter, and I, I want to make that call right now. Um, I don't normally do that with true freshmen, but I think that would happen. I think that will happen. Uh, you got a veteran offensive line if they can solve left tackle and right tackle with one of three guys. You know, Turning Time, Jakai Moore, uh, and Jalen Nichols. You know, one of those three will start in addition to Dylan Wanham. You move Hutcherson back inside. You have Jovan Gwynn coming back for his second year, third year in the program, who I, you know, I think he's going to be really good and had some really good moments last year. Then you got to find a center, which I think Hank Manos, Vinny Murphy, Eric Douglas, uh, one of those three are likely. Um, and, it, you know, Vinny Murphy could win it as a redshirt freshman. So, I, you know, I think you got a lot of pieces in place. You know, receiver, you got Shy Smith, but you got to get – Xavier Leggett caught back up. Ortre Smith is still there. I, you know, if he can kind of continue to power through. I mean, you know, so, so there's there's pieces in place. I mean, you just – and it's – you know, it's not so much. I think LSU proved it this year. You know, you can go with a pro-style scheme because that's what LSU was. And you can have – you know, and you can have pro-style concepts, some of the modern stuff – and it's not necessarily, you know, what your schemes are and formations and all that. It's, it's, it's how you call it. I mean, you look at that Clemson game. Brett Venables comes out like wildfire. <laughs> and they're shutting them down and making them punt. And all of a sudden, LSU adjusts, and it's over. And so I think that's paramount. And I think right now South Carolina has a guy that's proven over the years that he's more than capable of doing that. So while I'm still taking a wait-and-see approach on it, uh, I don't want to sit here, you know, it's January 29th, spring practice starts in a month. I don't want to sit here and harp on the wait-and-see approach all offseason. Uh, I want to be balanced here and tell you why. You know, there are reasons why this could work out pretty doggone well, and it is unprecedented. And you got to give Will Muschamp credit because the last two offensive coordinator hires, McClendon, and this guy both are two different ends of the spectrum, but he got away from hiring the guy that works for the guy. Um, and, and then there wasn't a, a mandated, you know, whether or not that actually happened, I don't know, a mandated Charlie Weiss hire uh, in there. 
Um, Bobo can be the head coach of the offense. He has head coaching experience. Bobby Bentley's helping him with the quarterbacks. Uh, I just think there's a lot there that can be positive in terms of, you know, that side of the ball. So we'll see what happens there. I just wanted to kind of talk about that. Uh, and Mike Bobo, we'll get into more football, obviously, with Tony later. Basketball tonight, big game. Gamecocks up to 89th in the net rankings. Last night, pretty big night for the net rankings. Clemson beat Syracuse. I think Virginia won. Uh, some other opponents won, which was positive. Uh, Mississippi State, man, I'm going to tell you this right now. I, it, they won again. I, they're playing. Ben Howland has them playing really, really well. And it's tough because Gamecocks have them twice. Uh, they always play them twice, so it's uh, it's going to be that. That's that's something that looking down the road, I'm like, hey, eh, you know, that that may not be that may not be too cool. Uh, I think Texas A&M won against Tennessee too, so we will see. Uh, Gamecocks are are at Arkansas tonight, though. My good friend Mike Morgan, listen to the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. We got a new one out this week. Uh, we all remember Mike. He's uh, he's calling the game for the SEC Network. He's also going to be on the mic Saturday night when the Gamecocks play Missouri. Uh, so he's out in Fayetteville getting ready to roll. Andy Kennedy, the former Ole Miss head coach, who I enjoy. I enjoy listening to him call games. Uh, he's going to be the color guy for the SEC Network. Razorbacks lead the overall series 20-14. to 14. Uh, So it's been pretty competitive. You know, Arkansas was a national power when they came into the league. Uh, Gamecocks weren't very good when they came into the league, so that's pretty good. Gamecocks are four and eleven in Fayetteville. I think Frank won out there. The team that got snubbed, the NIT team, he won out there by fifteen. Uh, Carolina last year, I think, scored what was it, the last ten points of the game, something like that. Uh, Arkansas just went cold. Gamecocks won by twelve in Columbia. Uh, Arkansas has won three of five in the series. This is Eric Musselman's first year at Arkansas after a really good run at Nevada. Uh, I think he's a heck of a coach. Uh, And they're up there. They're 28th in the net rankings. Looking at kind of who they've played, who they've beaten, who they've lost to, it's not, you know, an overly impressive run in terms of the teams they've played. They did lose at home to Kentucky. Uh, And they're 500 in the conference. So, and they're not big. You know, so I, I don't know, you know, that the Gamecocks are this decided underdog in this one, uh, especially if Isaiah Joe's not 100%, one of their guards. So, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. I, I think uh, I think that's uh, – they did beat TCU with Joe um, out of the game. So, I don't know, you know. Um, we'll see kind of what Joe uh, Joe can do. South Carolina, I think, has a size advantage in this one, just like they did against Vanderbilt. The inside guys that played well against Vandy have to play well. Mike Coatsar is going to be huge in this one, um, along with Levesque and McCreary and Keyshawn Bryant and all those guys around the rim because I think the Gamecocks, if Arkansas is shooting cold tonight, can, um, you know, get some things going rebounding wise and the Gamecocks guards do have a size advantage but you got to get on them you know you got to cover these guys because they they cover I think that's a football term you got to guard these guys <laughs> don't want to be a helmet head there uh and uh that's going to be tough but I I think you know again I, I keep saying this you got three more games before the first half of the SEC is over it's at Arkansas Missouri at home at Ole Miss 
Missouri and Ole Miss are not that great. Uh, of course, Ole Miss is on the road. Um, Carolina has to go two and one. You know, preferably they go three and zero. Oh, and I think they're cooking with grease if they do that, because then you're fourteen and eight, six and three, and you have a cushion. You know, what if Mississippi State ends up continuing to be hot and really, really good? You know, then if you lose there, you lose at Alabama. LSU gets you at home. You know, that's kind of the thing. So tonight. Mike Morgan on the call. Uh, SEC Network, 8.30 Gamecocks and Razorbacks. Tony Morrell and I will be back with the football hour. We call it the football hour. I don't know that we always go an hour. It's probably 35, 45 minutes a lot of the time. But um, we will be back, uh, obviously, uh, with all that. This is Inside the Gamecocks Daily. Appreciate all of you guys listening. Holla at you soon.